You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. In your Bibles, I don't want to waste any more time, but uh, I love our Eastlake campus. And we're in our Vision Builders series, Enlarge, and Vision Builders Month, Enlarge. And one of the things we want to do is, is just from a budget sake, we, we put seats on the floor, but you will notice that every other one of our campuses has stadium seating. And how many people know that this campus needs stadium seating? I'm telling you, it'll, everything will go to another level. The atmosphere, the vibe, the environment is, is going to go to another level. And so that's one of the projects that we're wanting to fund this year in our Vision Builders. But our Vision Builders, the, the theme this year is enlarge, enlarge. The disciples said to Jesus, increase our faith increase our faith. And I just want you to know that the God that you and I serve is a God of enlargement. He's a God of enlargement. The, the, the problem with the human condition is that, that we, we, we reduce God and we, we magnify problems. We, we, we make God small. That's why the Bible says magnify the Lord. Magnify. It's not that God is... Hello, I'm down here. He's not like a little, you know, that you've got to try and, you know, puff him up a little bit. The Bible says that the heavens can't contain him. When it says magnify the Lord, it's like you need to see him as larger than what you're currently thinking. When David walked in to face Goliath, all the commentary of 1 Samuel 17 is about how big Goliath is, about the size of his spear was like that of a weaver's beam, which is pretty impressive. Even if you don't know what a weaver's beam is, it just sounds impressive. <laughs> Got hit in the head by a stick. Stick, how big was it? Size of a weaver's beam? Shoot, how'd you live? Don't know. Anyway. <laughs> but it, 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 all it does is it talks about Goliath, his size, and, and then David walks down to fight this nine foot nine giant, and everyone's like, oh, he's gone. That's game over. What a waste. A young kid. Who, where's his parents? Why would... David didn't see Goliath as the giant. David said, Are you, you're coming against me with your sword, your spear, and your javelin? And you, you, think, you think I'm a little kid coming at you with sticks? I'm not sure if you don't see what's behind me. But I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Goliath, you may think you're the giant in the valley, but the real giant here is who you're facing. You ain't facing me, you're facing my God. I, I want you to notice I didn't bring a sword and I didn't bring a spear because the battle is the Lord's and this day He is gonna deliver you into my hand and I'm gonna take your head from off your shoulders. Shum, shum, <laughs> Magnify the Lord. I want you to know that in every area of your life, God wants to bring enlargement. God wants to bring increase. You may say, well, you know, Pastor, right now I'm just content. I'm content. I've got enough to pay my bills. I've got enough to, to you know, drive a, a, a modest vehicle and my children attend a fine school and, and you know, I'm, I'm good, Pastor. I'm good. Well, that's wonderful. A little bit selfish, but wonderful. What, what about enlarging where... You, you start so bursting the margins that you're no longer only thinking of you. 
A little bit of a novel concept. What, what if you are so prospering and so increasing that you're, I don't know, able to do something crazy like help with five orphanages in Baja, Mexico? Help with getting the school upgraded down there? Help with CVCU? Help with the eight villages that we have in Peru? We just built a hospital in Ghana. I'm, I'm sure they're going to need some other facilities as well. It's amazing what will happen if you let God enlarge you to a life beyond you. I was sharing somewhere recently. I don't know where it was, but somewhere. And uh, there's an old Chinese proverb that says, Man wrapped up in himself make very small package. Man wrapped up in himself make very small. We want to enlarge you. Somebody say amen. All right. I've got 17 minutes to deliver three points in a message that the title may throw you. The title may throw you. So life and death in the offering. Life and death in the offering. I think that's the title. There it is. Offerings of life or death. All right, come with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 4. We're going to read from verse 36. And then we're going to go into 5 and read 1 to 11. So Acts chapter 4 verse 36 says, And Joses, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. When you just see that. So there's almost like a, like a, the church is just brand new. The church is just flourishing. And the Bible says people that had land and possessions were selling it and bringing it to the apostles saying, man, whatever you guys are doing, we want to be the first to partner with this mission, with this mission of spreading Christianity right around the world. And, and so Barnabas was one of the first. He sold the land and he came and he brought it and he laid it where? He laid it where? At the apostles' feet. Now, I want you to just, just kind of file that away because there's, there's something really powerful that will happen at the end when you see that word again. He laid his money. He brought his money at the, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, when the Bible was written, there wasn't kind of chapter and verse. So even though now it's a new chapter and a new verse, the Bible was flowing. So it can look like that's the end of the chapter and now there's something new. But it says, but a certain man, and it's in the same theme. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession and he kept back part of the proceeds. His wife also being aware of it, and he brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said to Ananias, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You haven't lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, I used to always be perplexed. How could she not know what happened? Or he's been missing for three hours. He hasn't, he hasn't like answered one text message. Surely she'd... And then, and then when, when, uh, when they opened the new Nordstrom's in, I'm like, it all makes sense, of course. Three hours later, man, wouldn't... That was meant to be a joke. It just... 
It was like a lead balloon, wasn't it, really? Anyway, so, so now it was three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. Peter said, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have uh, buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. The next verse says, and through the hands of the apostles, many great signs and wonders were, were, were performed and nobody dared join the church because it will kill you. However, the Lord added daily those who are being saved. I intentionally chose this topic because I've always wanted to preach it, but I've never really had a congregation that wouldn't kind of beat the snot out of me after I preached it before now. So, and let's hope, let's hope. So this is, this is the, the first recorded death in, in the book, since the, the church in, in the New Testament. And it's around an offering. The first death in the Old Testament or in, the, in Genesis is around an offering. Cain and Abel, the Bible says it came to pass in the fullness of time, Cain and Abel broke, both brought offerings to the Lord. Cain was a tiller of the ground and he brought an offering of the fruit of the ground and he offered to the Lord. But Abel being a shepherd, brought the, one of the firstlings of his flock, a lamb, a one-year-old lamb, and he offered it to the Lord. And the Bible says that the Lord accepted Abel's offering, but rejected Cain's offering. Cain got so indignant, got so ticked off, got so jealous, envious of, of Abel that he, he stopped talking to him, got bitter. So God has to meet with Cain. He's like, Cain, why are you upset? Why are you, if you do what is right... Won't you also be accepted? But rather than do what is right, Cain lures Abel out into the field and murders him. So, so the offering, the offering, for God to, to repeat something. So the first offering we see in the Old Testament has a death. And the first offering that we, we read about in the New Testament has a death. God is trying to get our attention. God is trying to get our attention. God, God is a God of life, but He wants us to understand that there's life and death in the offering. Life and death in the offering. What's very interesting is that, that Ananias means grace, or, or literally God's grace, God's grace. Which tells me this, that, that you can be operating in God's grace, but still violating His principles and you're gonna to have to live with the consequences. I know we live in the age of grace, but if you don't live right, life ain't gonna work out right. That doesn't mean that you're not going to heaven, it's just that you're gonna have a harder time here. So, so I want you to understand that, that point number one, life and death is in the offering. But number two, the reason this is so powerful is that number two, you become your offering. You become, the, the, the offering is, is, let me first say this, the word, you can't spell the word offering without the word offer. If I met you in the parking lot and said, hey, I really like your car, uh, I think I'll offer you 50 bucks. You're gonna say, take a hike. Oh, I can't believe you're rejecting my offering. 
It was an offer. It doesn't have to be accepted. Cain brings an offering of the fruit of the ground. There's almost an arrogance in Cain's offering because if you read the Bible, which we always encourage, the chapter before, Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, because God couldn't curse Adam and Eve because He had blessed them, Genesis 1.28, so God said, Cursed be the ground for your sakes. Because you've done this, cursed be the ground. Cain was saying, hey, I know you cursed the ground, but my human ingenuity, my human effort, my works can more than compensate for what you've cursed. This is a picture of the Old Testament. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant was 10 commandments that if you can keep all 10, you get to enjoy everything that God has for you. The entire point being that no human being can keep the commandments that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There are none righteous, no, not one. All have gone astray. We needed a Savior. So Abel brings an offering, but he knows no matter what I bring, no matter what I produce, is going to fall short of God's standard of perfection. So he goes and he takes an innocent lamb and he brings the innocent lamb saying, the only way that I can attain righteousness and right standing with you is something innocent must die. Something innocent must be sacrificed on my behalf. So God accepts Abel and his offering, but rejects Cain and his offering for that reason. I hope that makes sense. Now, let, let me just go a little bit further. So all the way through your Old Testament, you will see that the children of Israel, whether it's uh, on Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, or whether it's at Passover or every week, actually, they would have to bring lambs for atonement. Let's just go to, to Yom Kippur, day of, the Day of Atonement. They had to find a lamb, had to be examined three times. Three times it had to be examined. It had to be one-year-old male without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. And they had to bring it to the high priest and the high priest had to, had to kind of give the final approval. Then it would be taken and would be put on an altar and the, and the high priest would then lean on the lamb and he would confess the sins of Israel that would go onto that lamb. And then they would sacrifice the lamb. And this innocent lamb would bear the weight and the judgment for the sins of the nation of Israel. It was meant to move the heart to say, gosh, another innocent lamb has to die because of my selfishness, because of my vices, because of my immorality, because of my wickedness, because of my uncleanness. It, that's what, but, but the human heart is so depraved that, that after a while they didn't even care anymore. But, but what would happen is two things would take place. As, they would, as, they would, uh, as the priest would lean over the lamb and confess the sins of Israel, the sins would go onto the lamb but its innocence, its perfection, its righteousness would go on to Israel. The lamb would become the sins of Israel and Israel would become the innocence of the lamb. There was a transmutation that was taking place. God was teaching them 
in Malachi, he says, when you bring for the offering, you, you have disdain for the offering and you're bringing the lime, you're bringing the blind, you're bringing the blind, you're bringing the lame, you, you, you're bringing that which is defiled because it's like, oh, I don't wanna give my best lambs. Hey, this one's got a broken leg. This one walked into a tree and lost an eye. We're sacrificing it anyway. Why not put a blind lamb? Why not put a deaf lamb? Why not put a crippled lamb there? And God's like, you become the offering. If you present the blind, you become blind. In fact, I would even say you are blind to present the blind. If you present the lame, you become. John the Baptist is standing on the Jordan River and he points at his cousin. He says, behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus is God's blueprint for mankind. The Bible says that we are all, we've all been predestined to bear the image of Christ. Every single one of us on the planet are a reflection, are a flavour, are a colourful representation of Jesus. He said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So when Jesus was on the cross, the father lent on the lamb, Jesus Christ, and took the sins of the world and put them on Jesus so that the world could receive his identity, so that the world could become like him so that all those who believe in Him would have His nature forming on the inside of them. God never asked from you something He didn't first do Himself. So God put Jesus on the cross so that you and I could be freed from our sin. We owed a debt we couldn't pay. So He paid a debt He didn't owe. That's what happened on the cross, but it goes even deeper than that. On the cross, all my sins washed away, all my sins forgiven, and His perfect standing, His innocence before God was transmuted to me. And now there is a nature, there is a power on the inside of me that is daily working to make me more like Jesus Christ so that in this earth, the Bible says, as He is, so are, come on somebody, so are we in this earth. As He is, so are we in this earth. How awesome is that? So you become your offering. The last one, point number three. God is not trying to, to get something from you. He's trying to get something to you. When it comes to the offering, understand this, that God is not trying to get something from you. He's trying to get something. To, now, how many people know this? Just a show of hands. How many people know that God does not need your money? All right, for the rest of you, God doesn't need it. God does not need your money. God does not. The Bible says He's paved the streets with gold. Here's the crazy thing about God. He doesn't need your money, but He still asks for it. I'm like, what? I thought you didn't need it. That's right. Well, why are you asking for it? If God doesn't need our money, why would He ask for it? Unless it's not about the money. Unless the Bible says, where your treasure is, there your where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You can't separate treasure from heart. 
A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. But an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth treasure and heart. Treasure and heart go hand in hand. The reason that God wants your money is not because it's about your money, it's about your heart. The Bible says, the Bible teaches that if God has your heart, there's nothing he'll withhold. When God was looking for a king, he says, don't look at him. I've refused him. Eliab, commander in an army, six foot five, good looking guy, sharp, graduated from the finest, co- don't care. The eyes of God are different to the eyes of men. Men look on the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. I found among the sons of Jesse a man after mine own heart, David. God exalts, God promotes according to heart. In this life, in this life, life and death in the offering, in this life, you and I will continually vacillate, will continually go between one of two states. We'll either be in a test or in a trust. In a test or in a trust. Genesis 22, and it came to pass that the Lord tested Abram. Take now your son, your only son Isaac, and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains in Moriah, of which I will show you. You're either in a test or in a trust. God trusted Abraham and then he tested. Why would God test? Because he wants to trust again. Every time you're in a test, it's only because God wants to know, is this, is this where you're tapping out? Is, is, is this your limit? Because the test is not me trying to get something from you, but I'm trying to get something to you. See, Abraham, Abraham had believed God, it was accredited to him as righteousness, and he'd now received Isaac. He'd received Isaac. The vision God gave Abraham was descendants like the stars in the sky. But he was, he was kind of content because at 100 and his wife at 90, God did a miracle out of a dead womb and out of a dead body came a life. Now, 12 years later, God says, I want you to put that life on an altar. It wasn't that God was trying to take something from him. God was trying to get something to him. So he had to test him because before the trust comes the test. And when Abraham, the Bible says, early the next morning, Abraham arose, chopped the wood, got his boy, put him on a donkey with the the servants and rode for three days to the place. Young Itzhak had to carry the wood on his back and he's like, Papa, I've got the wood on my back. You've got the knife. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Doesn't realise he is the lamb. Jesus, when he was born in a stable, had to grow up in a home. He had siblings and brothers and sisters. And he's looking at all of this Judaism, all of this. He's like, I wonder where the lamb is for the... John the Baptist confirms, you're the lamb. Abraham puts his boy down. What's so beautiful, what's so beautiful is that Isaac did not fight his father. 
A 12-year-old could have fought off a 112-year-old father and got away. But the son trusted. Because when the son looked into the eyes of Abram, his father, he could see the tears, he could see the love. And the son trusted the father. When Jesus... On the cross, the Bible says he lifted his eyes and said, into your hands, I commit my spirit. The son trusted the loving father. Earth around Jesus, crucify him, crucify him. Earth, humans were saying he saved others. Himself he cannot save. If you're the Messiah, come down, then we'll believe you. When Abraham put Isaac on the altar, heaven said, stop, stop, stay your hand. Now I know that you won't withhold from me even what is most precious to you. Therefore, blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply your descendants like the stars in the sky, the sand in the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. That's the difference. That's why we do not put our trust in man. That's why when I see the organizations of men claiming they fight for social justice, I am always skeptical and I would not call myself a pessimist, I'm an optimist. And sadly, I'm proven right every single time. We look to heaven for our answers. Heaven is full of grace. Heaven is full of, stop, stop. God wasn't trying to take from Abraham. God was trying to get something to Abraham. The offering is God trying to get something to you, not something from you. Every, every year, Leanne and I have wanted to lead from example, lead by example. And it's amazing, every year, every year, I, I kind of feel like, God, last year was a stretch. Like, you're gonna go easy this year, right? Like last year, that was, whoa, that was crazy. And uh, this year, and every year, I find God. But I've gotta be honest with you. Every year, where God challenges us to go up in our giving, we experience going up in our living. When we started the church, I'm, I'm out of time. I'm in it. Oh, oh okay. I've got to give you one more, one more little point. Okay. <clears throat> Watch this. Go to, go to uh, Acts 14, 14. Acts 14, 14. If you can throw it up on the screen. Acts 14, 14. Now watch, watch, watch what it reads. Watch what it reads. It says, but when the apostles, plural, keep reading for me. When the apostles, hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. When the apostles, Barnabas and Paul. If you follow the journey of Barnabas in Acts chapter four, he's just a new convert. And he comes in, he brings an offering and he lays it at the apostles' feet. Whatever you honour in the kingdom flows towards you. Whatever you dishonour is repelled from you. 
he, he sows into the apostles. He becomes a servant. He becomes a missionary. From a missionary, he becomes like a pastor and a leader. And then now he becomes an apostle. He, his life reaps what he sowed. When we came to, to San Diego, 2005, we landed on July 4. July 3 is my birthday, July 4 we land. And as we're coming in from, into, from LAX down to San Diego, the fireworks were going off down here in Mission Bay and it was just so beautiful. I joked with the, the, the kids, I said, kids, look at this, what a wonderful welcome. And, uh, but when we got to the airport, there was obviously nobody there to meet us, which was kind of weird because when you travel, you always have someone picking you up. And it was kind of like, it was very, very real when we, we get off the plane and there's no, nobody knows we're coming and everyone else is hugging and everyone else is meeting up with loved ones and friends picking them up and they're, they're going off and, and we're kind of left with trying to make our way over to Alamo car rentals. And, but God spoke to us so clearly and He said, before you have your first Sunday, before you, before you have your very, very first Sunday, I want you to take 10% of every offering, of every check, of every note that is given to you. Take 10% and I want you to send it to the Dream Center up in LA. The first Sunday we had three beautiful people put $1,000 in each and the entire offering was about $3,800. And I remember writing a check Monday morning for $380.52 and I sent it to, to the Dream Center up in LA. The next week wasn't quite as good, but you know, but I remember writing a check on the Monday for $186 and sending it up. The next week, same thing. Next week, after about maybe two months of every Monday sending a check to the Dream Center, I get a phone call from Pastor Matthew Barnett, who, who runs the Dream Center in LA, in LA. And he was like, Pastor Yerkes, I can't believe you. Like, come on now. You're church planning, you're sending money to us. We ought to be sending money to you. And uh, it was just so sweet. He was just so sweet. And I'm like, oh. Matthew, God just put this thing on my heart and we, you know, we want to be a tithing church right from the start. We don't want to ask other people to do something we're not doing. So we send the money for five years, for five years. For five years, we're sending the money. And we always had money. We always had money. Then there's one day I'm sitting, we just put on a, you know, maybe eight months earlier, we put on a brand new finance manager and, and I'm sitting there and I said, listen, I really want to do, oh no, we can't do that. I said, oh, why not? Well, we don't have any money. I said, what? Yeah, no, we, we, we can't afford to do that. I said, well, well just take it out of, you know, because I, I put like over $100,000 in what I just called a, an emergency fund so that zero wasn't our sin, zero, 100 was our sin. I said, just take it out of there. I don't know, I've already spent that. I said, you what? I already spent that. I said, hang on, you spent that and we've got no money. Yep, that's right. And not only do we have no money, but we're a month in arrears on everything. I'm like, sheesh, what on earth is? I said, well, are we still sending money to, oh, no, no, I stopped that. I said, you, I said, you what? Oh, I stopped that. I said, when did you stop that? Seven months ago. I said, seven months ago. How long have we been in a pickle? Oh, the last six months. You don't see a little correlation here? I said, I said, this is what I want you to do. I said, what's, what's our monthly income? And the business manager said, you know, 
whatever it was, like 400,000 or something a month. I said, take $40,000 and send it. And my business manager said, we can't afford to do that. And I said, we can't afford not to do that. Write the check, put it in the mail and send it. Not only did, did everything supernaturally turn around. See, it's, you, you can't have somebody who's trained in the world run kingdom things. You can't do it. They're, they're, two, different, they're two different entities. But watch this, this is what I didn't realize. That was five years, that was 2010, 2010. In 2010, it was such a difficult year coming into Vision Builders, coming into this the night before Vision Builders, the phone rings, it's 2.45 a.m. I'm thinking it's my dad living in France because he'll drink too much and then forget that not everywhere is on the same time zone as him. 2.50, it rings again. 2.55, it rings again. I'm like, oh, dear goodness, I've got to preach all day tomorrow. I'm carrying on 3 a.m. And it's right. So I pick up the phone. Dad, what is it? Uh, this is the uh, Penasquitos police station. For real? Your son has been arrested and is, I'm like, what? We find out our boy is addicted to drugs. He's been bullied in school. When you can't beat them, join them. The Tijuana cartels bring over what they call a black tar heroin. It's cheaper than marijuana. It's a black tar they lace. They lace with opiates. You light it and it puts up a smoke and you inhale it and it gives you the high of a heroin hit without injecting. However, very, very quickly it becomes not enough. And now they have you addicted to heroin. They, you bypass all the intermediate drugs and you go from... And he was so addicted that he was breaking into cars to try and fund his addiction. We don't know what to do. They're going to put him into juvenile detention center. In fact, that he went from there to juvenile detention center. And the only way that we could get him out was, can we find a program? And then I remembered the dream center. And I called them at the Dream Center and they said, send him up straight away. We'll make room for him straight away. He went up to the Dream Center for the next nine months and nine months of living sober, nine months of detoxing, nine months, their program broke the back of that. I had no idea, I had no idea. I had no idea that when God said, give 10% away, He wasn't trying to take something from us. He was... He knew what was coming down the track. He knew what the devil was gonna do down the track. He knew the devil was gonna go after our firstborn. He wasn't trying to get something from me. He was trying to get something to me. Come on, lift your hands high to heaven. Come on, stand to your feet, I'm over time. Father, I thank You right now, Lord God, for the Holy Spirit. Listen, the Holy Spirit is Your helper. Jesus said to the disciples, your hearts are troubled. They don't need to be. It is for your benefit that I go away. They're like, how is it for our benefit? He says, because I've been one amongst 12. He says, but when I go, when I get to the Father, I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit. And on that day, when He comes, on that day, you'll realize that me and the Father in Him, Him in you, you in us, and we will be one. 
And rather than one amongst 12, I will be with every single, and I will lead you into all truth. And I will guide you and I'll be your advocate. I'll be your counselor. I'll be your helper and I'll fill you with power and I'll release gifts on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit is your helper. And He's the one that unlocks the treasures of God. This, this vision builders, whatever He, whatever number, whatever He says, He's not trying to get something from you. He's trying to use that to unlock something, to get something to you. He is your partner. Partner with Him. Partner with Him. If you're here tonight and you've never surrendered to Jesus, friend, in a minute, the ministry team's gonna come forward. Come, come out and let, let somebody pray for you. Maybe you're struggling with some stuff. Maybe you're struggling with some sin or some shame or some guilt or, or an addiction that, that you've never told anybody about. Listen to me. Every addiction has two things in common. Number one, we get ourselves addicted but we cannot get ourselves unaddicted. We get ourselves addicted, but it requires a community to get us out. Lazarus died. Jesus raised him from the dead, but he said to them, loose him and let him go. It was the church. It was the friends. It was the disciples. It was the community that unlocked him. You get yourself you need other people. Don't carry that shame. Don't carry that addiction. Don't carry that struggle one day for, one day more. Let the team, if you're away from God, come back to God. If you're far from God, you don't need to leave the same way you come in. We have a wonderful church. We have wonderful people that love to pray with you. They love to give you a Bible and a following Jesus book. But I just hear the Holy Spirit just right now saying that there's fresh oil. So one more time, reach out your hands high to heaven. Say, Heavenly Father, tonight I receive fresh oil from heaven. Life and death is in the offering. I thank you that there is life flowing from your throne towards my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.